Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope you said great. It's great. It's, it is now officially fall. Thank you, God. No more 90-degree days. No more 90 to 100-degree days. I'm good. I could stay like this. Stay just like today for, like, all year. I'd be really happy. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal problem anywhere in the state, we can get to you. It might take us a couple hours, but we can get to you. All right. So uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Find us on, on YouTube. You can find us over at TikTok as well. We're in multiple places. Google us. We'll just pop right on up. Anyway, if you're watching from Facebook tonight, please be sure to hit that follow button. Because we are looking for followers. And if you happen to have come over here from Instagram, please be sure to follow on Instagram. I'm Ghosty Gal on Instagram, in case you don't know that. So just it's really easy. Ghosty Gal, no numbers, no nothing, just straight Ghosty Gal. All right, if you're watching from YouTube, there is a little ghost down in the bottom right-hand corner, I think, with a Sherlock Holmes hat on and a magnifying glass, and that is our mascot. And you click on that, and that will subscribe you to our videos. If you go in there and take a look around, you'll see there's 450, at least 450 videos over there. I am a journalist, photojournalist by trade, and... I get bored doing paranormal stories all the time, so I like to do other stuff because that's just, it's in my blood, right? So if you go through there, you're going to find different topics, you know, including paranormal, but you're going to find different topics. So I'm sure there's something in there for for every taste. Some of it's fun, some of it's not fun, some of it's serious, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, take a look around over there on our YouTube page. And plus, if you do subscribe to YouTube, you will get notified of all our videos upcoming and whatever else we have coming up. Tonight, I have a guest tonight. Brian Lade. I hope I said his last name right. I'm horrible with last names. You guys know that. Um, and he, he and he's a paranormal investigator like me. But uh, he has some different things he does during investigations. Some of it that he does, we, we also do. I heard him on a couple of other interviews. And some of it we don't do as a team. And I think this, you know, it's nice to talk to other teams because it's, it's like exchanging ideas and you get and you get information of things you can try with your team that maybe, you know, will improve your results when you're out in the field. So that's why I like to get, get get people like him on. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring him in. Hello, sir. Hello. Can How you hear me you? well? Yeah, I hear you fine. Uh, doing good over here. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Tell me about you. Oh, okay. Um, well, um, in a nutshell, um, PhD from the University of New Hampshire. Um, in experimental psychology. And probably about uh, 2009, I came out of the paranormal closet and uh, started doing formal parapsychology research. So for the last eh, 10, 12 years, um, I've been uh, basically doing, you know, uh, science grade research on uh, a variety of topics. Um, and of course, in the last five years, I've been working with an international group of PhD parapsychologists, and we've been working on getting research up to date on ghost hauntings and poltergeists. When you talk about research, what type of research is it? Well, um, it depends. Uh, we've done a variety uh, of studies. Um, you know, without a shameless plug, we just released uh, we just released um, a book through McFarland called Ghosted, which is a summation of twenty peer-reviewed studies. Uh, which is, you know, I'm going to kind of toot my own horn and say it's basically the most up-to-date research uh, in terms of science right. um, that's been done with hauntings um, in, in a while. Um, but yeah, I've done field research. Um, in fact, uh, most of my early work was actually setting up laboratory grade, or at least the best you can in the field, mm -hmm. um, you know, laboratory grade um, setups for haunting sites, trying to, you know, really thoroughly vet um, anomalous phenomena if we could capture it. Right. Um, and it sounds like your listenership and yourself, you know, you've been in that situation where you're like, yep, going to be here for nine hours and nothing's going to happen. Right. Um, but, you know, we'd set up all the equipment anyway. 
and um, and we got some good stuff over the years. Um, you know, and through that and through a lot of citizen science volunteerism, we've had a lot of students and lay people that have worked with me and other people. Um, and through their help, we've tried to devise standardized protocols, right? Good methods for collecting evidence if you care about really vetting evidence, right? Recognizing some of your listeners and yourself, it may just be more of a thrill thing or right. it may be a personal, you know, a personal validation thing. Um, but, you know, if you're looking to actually try to convince people or make a case against, right, or for uh, paranormal activity, then there's a certain standard and, and steps that kind of need to be done if you're going to convince other people. I agree 100%. And I was listening to one of your other interviews, and I, I have this argument with my team all the time, team members. You go in with multiple digital voice recorders. I do, too. Because I found over the years that although one recorder might, might pick something up, the other recorders aren't going to pick it up. Yeah. And so the argument my teams have is that, well, you, we've already got a recorder in there. Why bother? And it's like, no, 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 no. We have to do it this way because this is, this is what's going to help us prove, prove what we're doing. Well, and I'll add a layer to that, which is, you know, we always made it standard protocol to set up at least four, if not five recorders throughout the house. Because if you get that spectacular EVP. Yeah. And you really want to make a case for it, right? You get that nice, distinct, clear voice. You're like, okay, that's not a door closing. How do you prove that? How do you right. vet that, right? And, and let me make it clear. There's no such thing as absolute proof, right? Mm -hmm. In all of science in the universe, there's no such thing as absolute proof. But what I can do, if you've made timestamps on those recorders, right. right, is I can go to the exact time that I got that AVP on every other recorder in that house. And if there's not noise on those other recorders, I've just made a better case for some sort of anomalous noise in the core recorder where I got the EVP. Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the things I train my people. See, that's why I said there's similar stuff we do. Oh, yeah. We don't do. Like, I'm very, I'm very um, adamant about people in our watches, keeping track of stuff, keeping track of the time. When we, when we turn the recorders on, everybody, you know, I will tape recorders to, I'll have a, a recorder in each of the rooms, taped to the wall with a camera on it. And then we carry recorders in with us, you know, from room to room. Yeah. But the second we turn the, the wall recorder on, we, we know the time. Yep. We keep track um, of it. Well, and that's the point. You're doing science, right? People, right. Th this huge myth out there is like, oh, I have fancy equipment. Well, great. Do you know how to use it? Do you know what it does? Mm -hmm. Have you set up protocols and procedures so that, for instance, right, you can keep track of the time across all of your devices? If you have that, you have 100 hours of time synced you know, data. Yeah. You can, you know, you can look at all the cameras, you know, who was going in, you know, who was going out. Um, but you know, let's be fair. That is a buttload of work. You yeah. know, whenever you do investigations to that grade, if you're really looking for that level of evidence, you know, I certainly understand why a lot of people don't necessarily want to be that involved in it because, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go down the science route, you've got to be willing to put in a whole lot of work. Absolutely. No, I agree with you hundred percent on that. And, um, like I said, I'm, that's why I want to get you on. I'm fascinated by what you guys do when you're when you're out investigating. I'm, and I'm fascinated by the study you guys did. So let's talk about the study. Well, which 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 study? I, I'm not. Uh, we I have a lot of them. You have you have to give me a reference. Well, the one, you know, the paranormal having to do with um, if if I remember right, it was uh, how people's minds can sometimes either create the paranormal or the paranormal creates around what the hell somebody's thinking and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, we advocate, and, and this isn't just our theory, right? This is, in fact, we've pulled mainstream psychology in this. And it's, it's kind of weird that, you know, both scientists and lay people haven't really given this more thought. We really endorse an, uh, an interactionist model of the paranormal. Um, because if you think about it, you know, I'll just make a common sense statement. Could it be the case that, our beliefs, our previous biases, our previous experiences might have something to do with how we interpret the world around us, right? And the answer is, of course it does, right? People's politics, people's religion, people's backgrounds, you know, if you, you know, want to get kind of touchy-feely about it and, and you want to scare yourself, look at how you interacted with your parents and now look at your modern relationships. And if you're honest with yourself, you're like, oh, crap right? There, there are relationships there. Well, that also right. applies to, it applies to the paranormal, right? If, um, and I'm sure with experience with, you know, the, the ghost hunters that you've had, um, if you have a member who is purely Christian, right? Like their perspective right. is Judeo-Christian. So if something bad happens, it's a demon. Well, is it a demon? Right. right. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're wrong. What I'm saying right. is 
we don't think about the fact that we're bringing our beliefs and our judgments and our backgrounds to the paranormal environment. When, you know, when we're being honest though about it, let's say we're lucky enough to actually capture psychokinesis. Let's say you saw an object moving with your own two eyes and let's say you were really lucky and you got it on a camera or two cameras, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that is the documentable evidence. But now here's the next question. What does it mean? How do right. you interpret it? Right. And, you know, if you think about it, an entire fancy ghost story can be built around somebody seeing an apparition for five seconds. When you look at the core anomalous features, you're just looking at one five seconds of weirdness, anomalousness, right? But depending on their beliefs and how the story is told, if they're a skeptic, they hallucinated. If, right. they're, a, if they're a believer, it's a visitation and it has meaning. Right. It's right. it's not an issue of the phenomena we witness. It's an issue of how we interpret that phenomena. And it plays a major role, both, you know, mathematically and in terms of science. Um, in fact, one of our, our major findings is that a person's paranormal belief. Right. The degree to which they believe in the paranormal and um, uh, kind of a mental variable or um, a trait variable called transliminality are mm -hmm. the two highest predicting factors of having haunting experiences. Right. So we know there's certain traits. We know there's certain personality types and certain beliefs that make people more prone to having these type of experiences. And, and notice here is a neutral party. Right. I'm a believer personally. But if I'm going to play the scientist, I don't care whether it really did or didn't happen. Right. Um, right. I'm not here to prove that you did or didn't have that experience. What I'm saying is right at a basic level, regardless of it's real or not, it doesn't matter. People that have higher degrees of those two tendencies, both paranormal belief and transliminality, tend to report more of what they would call or interpret as, as haunting, haunting experiences. Do you think it's because they made themselves more open to it with the way they're thinking? Because I know there's a lot of debunkers, well, whatever you want to call them now, because I know they don't like to be called debunkers, but there's a lot of debunkers that no matter what happens, they're not going to see anything because they're not going to believe it anyway. You know, it's it's interesting because that used to be a theory, and it's certainly one that I've believed in through personal experience, as I've done investigations. Right? Um, if, if I'm sure, tell me if you've had this experience. Right? You send in one person, nothing happens. Right. You send in another person that might have a very different personality profile. Um, and by the way, we know what that profile kind of looks like. Um, and suddenly, you know, there's not only personal stuff happening to them, but you may even get external or, or objective events. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the interactionist model that I'm talking about also applies to the fact we say it's the right person in the right environment. OK, yeah. Now, yeah. So in other words, yes, the person and their background makes a difference. You know, haunting is interactive. Ghosts, you know, phenomena are interactive. You need to be there to see it or nobody tells the story. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen when no one's around. I've right, caught right, stuff right. that where right. it does. But, you know, uh, again, uh, the right person does seem to interact with a, a genuinely haunted environment and it does make a difference in this you know kind of stuff that you experience and capture some explainable eh, some less so right right well that's like a like that goes along the line of, of what i found over the years too is that there's certain people on your team that are better at getting evidence with certain things i had somebody on my team that the minute you hand her a camera if anybody's going to pick up any any activity or anything like that it's going to be this person yep Oh, yeah. Um, I, I used to nickname the, the, the ones that would uh, calm things down. I used to call them coolers. I still call them coolers. If they just, nothing ever happens. And, it, you know, there's been a few instances over the years where whether legitimate or not, people have very much gotten disturbed. And I've, I've just sent in a cooler. I'm like, go calm things down. We, we need a break. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, there's, there's a growing body of data that we ourselves are doing as researchers, but in context, mm -hmm. that is, is very much making a case that, um, you need to have a certain personality profile. Um, but stop and think about it. If, if you go into an environment and you're, you're hyper analyzing everything around you and you're critiquing and you're trying to debunk everything around you, um, you're kind of shutting off other parts of your brain mm -hmm. that, that I would say you might experientially need to kind of foster um, you know, foster those sort of events. Um, now, you know, again, a skeptic might say, oh, well, because you make them all up. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, there's some cases where skeptical explanations are very valid and very real, uh, but they're not comprehensive uh, in, in the sense of um, we've actually done a research, uh, a, a large research article, Jim Haran and I, where we looked at the maximal ability in percent 
for skeptical explanations to account for paranormal experience mm -hmm. and being very, very favorable towards skeptics. The best we got to was 60%. In other words, eh, 39 to 40% of paranormal phenomena just is not explainable by the math. Right. When you talk about things like expectancy or contagion or hallucination or um, so there's still a lot of mystery out there. Um, there is, you know, um, but, you know, that's one fair thing to say, um, you know, about skepticism is I and I believe in skepticism. I think everyone should be questioning the phenomena they're getting. Um, but this this lie or idea that, you know, oh, hallucination accounts for all haunted experiences is mm -hmm. is outright exaggeration and falsehood. Um, I I agree. Every team should have skeptics on there. That's a good, it's a balance. If you don't have a skeptic or two on your team, it, it, it's a disservice to your client. You yeah. know, you just can't be running in the house going, Oh my God, I believe you have ghosts and just attack it. Well, it's and there's, there's ethics involved too, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you go in um, and, and from experience, well, however you want to explain paranormal phenomena, very often, if you investigate it, it's not like it calms down if it's right. legitimate. Right. right. So, right. Now, if these people have invited you, you know, you're doing a residential and they've invited you into their house. If they're already upset and you come in telling them that the, you know, the dark Lord is coming to eat their yeah. souls yeah. and then, you know, and we'll be back in a month. Uh, and, you know, as stuff floats, you know, you have not done, you have not been kind or ethical to the people who have asked you to come in. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Also, you know, but there's also those skeptics that no matter what happens, a ghost could, a, a ghost could look, well, I had a person on my team that, and we actually had, we were going out live when I was on blog talk and she had got, she was outside. They were doing some circle thing outside and she got slapped in the face. You could see the mark on her face mm -hmm. and she still went, Oh, I don't know. I think it was a bug. <laughs> well, but, but that comes back to our original point, which right. is, you know, if, if you absolutely have an explanation in your mind and you don't need facts and evidence for it, cause you're right. Right. What's what's the point of investigating, whether you're a skeptic or whether you're a diehard believer? Right. Um, you know, this is the same with extreme politics, religion and extreme ideology. Once a person reaches that point, facts, evidence and logic no longer matter. They've right. decided how they're going to look at the world and that's the way it's going to be. Um, and, and that's not me judging anyone. That's just right. psychology. That's just, you know. So, a social psychology 301 in an undergraduate class. Um, it's the way we work. Um, you know, and if you want to proof and point to that concept, notice that if you look at political ads, they never target the opposite party, right? They target independence. Why? Because you can't convert the other party. Right, right. Mar right. Mar marketers know this. They're not going to spend a half million dollars on an ad to target people that aren't going to convert. Absolutely, absolutely. So when you're, when you when, when, you know, when, when you're out doing these, uh, or how did you do the studies? Just to, you know, how did you put those together? Okay. Well, um, hmm, let me think about where to start with that. And I'm already rambling, so it's too late for that. Um, Fire it all up. right. So, well, my, my original research focus was actually testing what I call the EMF phenomena hypothesis, right? Um, because uh, I'm certainly old enough to remember when TAPS first came out, right? And Ghost Hunters first did the show um, and the whole EMF craze came out. Right. So my original, re my, my very first study in parasites, actually second study in parapsychology was, well, okay, I'm going to try and do this right. And I'm going to try and bring as much science as possible and let's see if there's something to it. Okay. So in those days, um, and I have to give credit to Kay Owen, who trained me back in the day as a ghost hunter, but loved science, right? Was a lay person, but loved science. And I'm like, hey, I can analyze this math. She had already devised a system called RIGS, which was a data logging system for electromagnetic fields. Now, in those days, it was an entire truckload, right? A mm -hmm. PC, five additional wired things you had to put into it. And you had to, yeah, and you had to run wires to the, to the tri-field meters where you had to pay extra to put the jacks in. I mean, like, right. holy, holy crap, right? Right. Um, but we would set all of that up in addition to um, what ultimately became what I call the hotspot method, right? Which is if you can't control the whole house, control the areas that you're looking for and only count phenomena that are in those areas that are controlled. Right. So our goal was to capture objective phenomena, stuff that's, you know, capturable by camera or audio. And we wanted to actually see if the electromagnetic fields changed in a, in a significant way, either right before or during, right? right. Um, 
anomalous phenomena. And we were lucky enough to actually capture stuff. In fact, um, we captured a series of actual shadow people coming out of a basement. Um, and I would not normally be this, this brave in making a statement this strong, but the, the truth was very simple. It was a basement with only one entrance and exit. We had a camera on that entrance. We had a camera 180 degrees uh, to the opposite direction. So you could see what was behind the camera filming the door to the basement, right? We, we had seven other cameras that proved, right, that no one was in the house. And clear as day, you see a six-foot shadow cross the door, right? Then about a minute later, it comes back across. And then about, I think, two minutes later, five shadows of different lengths come out the door. Now, the interesting science finding was that in those cases plus EVP, we found in time, right, this significant change in electromagnetic fields. Now, but here's the thing, right? Because I, we still to this day, people are running around with these K2 meters. Uh, they are they are useless. Yep. Um, and real-time readings, guys, are useless because I've now done three studies where I've been lucky enough to capture phenomena, and there is a relationship. There is a small change in what you would call the variance, the wiggle of electromagnetic fields. It either gets longer, right? It either gets wider, it gets like highs and lows get more active, or it contracts. But it's small, and it's not something you're going to catch unless you're actually logging the data over time. Mm -hmm. um, and currently, I've sent those findings to the world's leading expert in electromagnetic fields, and supposedly he's going to be doing an independent analysis. It only took me 12 years um, and three papers <laughs> um, to get someone, uh, someone else kind of interested in it, but I'm kind of looking forward to what they think about that relationship. Um, because yeah, I would say, you know, three times over, there seems to be a relationship there in time, right. With EMF and at least objective phenomena right. uh, occurring. Yeah. Right. Now, the only time I've ever gotten really, really significant real time EMF, I was at this old hotel in Coulterville and I, I, even, I even got it on film where we were doing an EVP session. Every time the dowsing rods would cross, this is hilarious. And I don't know if it was the person running everything, you know, the person controlling it or what. Every time we would get an answer, and the EVPs corresponded with all this, every time we would get an answer, the tri-field meter would jump. Yep. Along with the answer, like an old-time radio. That was crazy. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a little science trick that, that everyone can do, right? right? You're not one time is coincidence, two times is coincidence, three or four times might be coincidence. You're always looking to document a lot of occurrences that should be happening above chance, yeah. right? Yeah. And the other the other secret to that is collect a baseline first. Right. Know right. know what the basic EMF is. Know how often that 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 trigger device goes off. Right. Right. Over right. a five minute period before you, and now you have something to compare against. Absolutely. Now, you, now you know that if it goes off two times every five minutes, if you get five or six in five minutes, well, that is abnormal, right? Yeah. Now, what does it mean? That's a whole nother story. But at least now you're starting to do some comparison. Well, that's the key with this, with, with what we do. I mean, it's it's knowing your equipment. Yep. It's going out, even if you're not ghost hunting, but going through your house is what I did. I don't like to read instructions. I'm not an instruction person. But I'm the first person to get to get a meter and walk through my house and put it on everything to see what's going to trigger it. Yeah. You know, the refrigerator goes through the wall. Okay, I know that's happening, you know. But that's that's the way I do it. Now, you mentioned the K2 meter. I don't like K2 meters, and I probably don't like them for the same reason you don't. But can you tell me what's wrong with the K2 meter? Well, I'm I'm gonna be a snob in general and say all handheld EMF meters, right. if you're not data logging, are roughly useless. Okay. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. If if you persistently get, you know, as as like a, I'm going to go get an average reading in a house, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so I'm going to go from room to room and log, you know, the overall average milligauss. You know, uh, it seems to range from 1.5 to 2.5. That's about normal. Let's write that down, right? That's useful. But in terms of it roaming around and being a quote unquote ghost detector, um, I mean, I'm not backtracking on my research. There are subtle variations that do appear to occur before that kind of phenomena occurs, right. but it's in the wiggle. In other words, it's in the right. up and down. It's not in the magnitude. It's not about how strong the reading is. So no, I don't, you know, EMF devices on their own don't have any predictive ability, um, you know, to be like, Oh, yep. Demon's coming or, Oh, a ghost is coming. 
um, you know, they're good for environmental readings and you should use them that way. And if you get a high reading in a room, you go, hmm, this is high and I should mark that. Um, but there's not necessarily a whole big point in, in roaming around and trying to get a quote unquote abnormal reading uh, because most people don't even take baselines. So how do they know what an abnormal reading is? Doesn't the K2 have like an automatic setting in there too, where it goes off every once in a while on its own? Well, it does. And for me, I'm snobby because it's not precise. It's like, well, it's four lights, not five. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that, that, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. I'm like, yep, yeah, but four is more than three. Um, but I can't, you can't do a whole lot with it. And I can tell you those cell sensor meters that people like to use, those little blue meters with the red on there. The problem with those is as you walk around, the the, the needles bouncing around. Yeah. Yep. And depending on whether you actually have the meter on a, on a north-south axis, yeah. right, or an right. east-west axis, right. if it's if it's a single-axis meter versus a tri-field meter, right, right. if that tri if that tri-field is giving you one reading, newsflash, it's giving you the average of three readings on an yeah. XY, you know, right, on right. an up-down, north-south, and east-west orientation. So you, you got to, I don't say you have to know these things, but, you know, the question I might ask average lay people is, why would you use it anyway if you're not going to collect long-term data with it? Right, exactly. Right, it's it's, it's not it's it's a bunch of work for you, and if you're not interested in it, it's it's not going to help you find phenomena necessarily, um, you know, unless you really set it up for data logging. But even then, right, uh, you, you you find that post hoc more often than you find it while it's happening. Right. Um, I would just be like, yeah, just put them away. You take some baseline readings and 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 check them every hour or so, run them again, and see if the if the environment's changing. But then go do your thing. Remember the old-fashioned way when they used to do carnival investigating before all this stuff was what walk walk in wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, so you can feel the breezes and everything on your arm, feel it all naturally without having all that equipment. Oh yeah, yep. But well, I mean, in 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 some ways, uh, a compass would work, right? Oh yeah, I've it, seen people use compasses. Yeah, you're like, oh look, this thing's roaming around in circles. Something's not right here, and they would be right. Something is not right there. <laughs> It is. You know, I agree with you on all your points. I do. And we've tried to, you know, over the years, I've been doing this long enough. I mean, when you first start out doing this stuff, you're all excited. You get involved. You know, you, the lights are flashing. You're going crazy. But then as you progress doing this stuff, in any team that's worth their salt, you know, you start figuring this stuff out. Little yeah. by little, what's working, what's not working. And then you, and then little by little, you start adding that into it to employ it into what you're doing. Yes. And, you know, I, I think maybe because of the back and forth between believers and skeptics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of this is about, uh, is about thinking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we love to go, you know, people love to go, Oh, well it's in their head or it's paranormal. Well, it can be both. Right. It can be a mixture of both. And, and we have a fair amount of published research that kind of shows that interaction. Um, I, I think people make mistakes because they want a answer to be the total answer. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, you know, I used to say this, you know, back when I was actively teaching more often, you know, I'd say, guys, you think of four or five things in the middle of the night to decide whether or not you're going to get up and take a pee. Right. right. Well, am I, am I hungry? Can I hold it? Oh, am I going to wet the bed? I don't know. Do I want to do this? You know, we put there's, there's six things that go into what we're going to have for breakfast or lunch. Um, you know, common sense would tell us that the world has a lot of things affecting various things. So, you know, is there a, can there be a paranormal quote unquote, whatever that really means? Cause we don't have a good term for it. Mm -hmm. can, you know, can there be a, a paranormal component and a psychological component? Well, yeah, why not? Why couldn't there be? Why does it have to be just one? Um, so, you know, the skeptics aren't wrong and the believers aren't wrong. The scientists aren't wrong and the religious people aren't wrong. There are components to this. It, it's a big thorny ball of mess and we are, we will never probably truly figure it out. I think we can just get better at modeling it, like accurately predicting its its components. You know what I found interesting? We had a case a while back of a Jehovah Witness family who was having paranormal experiences in, the, in their home. Now, the problem with that is that going back to religion, they don't believe in, 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 in ghosts or anything. So when you're out there and let's, <laughs> and let's say you come up with some some evidence you have to sit there and, and talk with them about it. And, and, you know, it's just, it's really difficult. Have you guys ever run into a situation where, you know, like that similar? Um, actually we've almost always dealt with the opposite problem, which okay. is 
um, particularly, and it's one of the reasons why I very rarely, uh, and, and I've been, I've been kind of, I've been getting lazy the last few years. I've been doing more research than I've been doing, uh, investigations. Although we just did a three day lab study, uh, at the whispers in Mitchell, Indiana. Um, but no, the, the, it's the opposite problem. We know this is a demon. Oh, okay. well, okay. Well, so why, <laughs> why are we here again? You know, and, um, and honestly, I've, I've had, um, ministers on the team uh back in the day who ended up leaving because the experiences they had just didn't fit in well with their personal theology um you know it, that sort of situation creates what you might call cognitive dissonance right it's a fancy term so you know there there's what you believe but there's what you're seeing they're in conflict right um and of course human psychology basically says that you're going to fall in favor of your belief one right. way or another Right. Um, which is why, you know, groups going to town trying to convince any people of anything is is generally kind of useless in right. the long run. Right. Um, because, you know, if they've made up their mind, they've made up their mind. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, but, you know, again, but you bring up a kind of a powerful point, which is even though you're talking about Jehovah Witnesses, right. you know, skepticism is a form of religion, too. Yep. Atheism is a form of religion. It's a belief system. Yes. Right. Um, so. The idea that they're somehow different from religious people is, is at least in a psychological, sociological sense, complete BS. They, it, it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. The only thing differ, the different is the assumptive beliefs they're, they're basing their faith on. Right, right, right. The other thing you brought up just now was about the pastor, you know, and his beliefs with this. We get calls all the time, you know, about it's a demon. It's the TV shows that do it because these TV shows feed into all this crap. Yeah. And, we we have a demon in our house. We want you to come out and cleanse it. And I try to explain to them, I know you believe you have this demon, but we just can't come out and cleanse this thing. we got to figure out what it is we're dealing with. Because what might work for a, a Catholic priest won't work for a Native, or it might be something that Native American can only deal with or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's hard well, to explain that to people. Well, and I mean, now we're, we're moving uh, out of science into metaphysics and, right, right, you know, right. and, and, and complicated theology. I've, right. you know, I've, I've studied esoteric religions and various religions for 25 years now. Right. Um, so I love to have these conversations, but, you know, I always have to make a line and say, look, we've moved away from evidence at this point. Now we're playing right. games of, you know, uh, theology, cultural belief, interpretation. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that so long as we're being honest about which is which. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, exorcisms are tricky and, uh, and, and cleansings are tricky. And of course our group always just did the science. We never right. offered any services. Um, but I've personally run into some really weird stuff that you might call demonic or at least evil. Um, but you know, again, that's the point is cleansings themselves or misnomers, you know, thanks to TV uh, and movies, people are like, oh yeah, like two priests come in and they do like one routine exorcism and then everything's fine. Right. right? Exactly. Yep. When, when you actually look at the practice of Catholic exorcism, for example, noting that every major religion in the world and occultists have their own versions of exorcisms and mm -hmm. use them and they work. Right. Right. Um, but very rarely do they work just on one go. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, a study John Palmer did in 79 in the Journal of Parapsychology where he looked at exorcisms effectiveness rates. And um, I think I think it was just Catholic Church cases. And if I'm remembering the number correctly, it was 39 percent. Wow. You know, 39 percent as compared to, oh, yeah, priests are going to clean it up in one go. You know, right. it's the same. It's the same idea with, you know, whatever's going on. Right. Let me <laughs> let me stay neutral. However, you want to interpret what's going on and whether or not you want to believe the exorcist is doing a psychological effect on the individuals and or it's paranormal either or the outcome is the same. Right. right. So right. we'll just throw that to the side. But the point is this, you know, some people like the attention from hauntings. Mm -hmm. Some yes. people like some some people like the drama. Yep. Even if they can't admit it to themselves. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that we've coined in our new book is something called haunted people syndrome. And it is a recognition that there are certain predictable components to people experiencing these sort of negative phenomena over time in their lives. Um, but, you know, part of that is, um, you know, are you willing to truly break free from all of this drama that it's created in your life? And mm -hmm. notably, a lot of people that have what we might characterize as HPS often have a lot of interpersonal difficulty going on in their lives. 
lot of drama, a lot of stuff not being resolved, a lot of stuff not being talked about, sometimes undiagnosed mental illness, right? Mm -hmm. um, and all of that has to be playing a role if you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, e even if you want to treat, you know, if, if we jump the gun to woo woo land and say, OK, let's let's assume an intelligent entity is, in fact, in this location. Right. 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 So what are you doing if you're freaking out and regularly giving it attention? If we're going to assume it's real. Right. What are you doing if you're drawing attention to it on a regular basis, but you're going to have somebody come in and do a blessing for 20 minutes and then it's going to go away? <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, if, if you think about real life and dating, that doesn't work in dating, let alone, you know, let alone exorcism or anything along those lines. Oh, um, so, you know, very often if people say, oh, I need a cleansing, it's like, well, how committed are you to doing something like that over a period of six weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Because, because if you're motivated to do it and you want it gone, it's probably going to work a lot better than you bring in, bringing in some hoo-ha, right? Right. Uh, to, to, to wave some sage and, and, you know, open a book, a Wiccan book from 1995 and uh, that, you know, was stolen from Western esotericism and Kabbalah in the first place. Um, and, you know, do this little mini ritual. You, now, don't get me wrong. Very often they'll see three or four days of peace and quiet or sometimes a week and a half in my experience. Um, but it's rare that something like that is like, yep, problem solved. Absolutely. The other question I had for you was people with, with mental issues. If you run into somebody that, that's maybe on some kind of med medication, you know, for paranoia or something, how do you guys handle that when you go out there? Because, I mean, I just had one recently, you know, phone call and telling me that she had, you know, the whole demon thing. And if she's listening, yeah. I apologize. I got to get back to her on this too, because I already found some help for her. But, you know, the, the whole demon thing. And then you come to realize that she's taking med medication for paranoia and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and this, this is, this is a delicate topic. So let, let me, let me try and put my, my big boy pants on and, and address this well. Um, well, let me let me first say the DSM, right, which is the uh, basically the Bible for clinical psychology diagnosis, mm -hmm. um, places the rate of if you take all the disorders that can produce hallucinations, right? And so, in psychology speak, we call that psychosis as like a general like a general label, right? Um, that's at best about three percent of the population. Right. right. Um, and so assuming that there's not an abnormal amount of crazy people who have haunting experiences, which, by the way, that's unlikely because international studies, so, you know, depending on the decade and the year, right. report anywhere between 20 and 40 percent of mm -hmm. people have some type of paranormal experience in their life. Right. That's a whole heck of a lot more than three. Mm -hmm. So let me say off the bat that hallucination alone. Right. Is mm -hmm. a very poor explanation for haunting phenomena. Um, but here's the other thing. I've worked a psych ward. Mm -hmm. I've worked a lockdown psych ward. So I have dealt personally with hundreds of schizophrenics back in the day. There's no such thing as magically having a hallucination for about 30 seconds and then coming back to normal. Schizophrenia, which is the stuff you're talking about with like having paranoid tendencies, right? right. Or believing groups are out to get you. That's that's one of the symptoms that can be indicative of, of schizophrenia, mm -hmm. it is a crippling, horrifying disease. And it has severe, uh, severe, severe, severe effects on people's ability to think and talk straight. Um, and, and really, if someone is severely schizophrenic, they can't hide it. It becomes obvious very quickly that they're they're not they're not functioning at a level that they they should be functioning at mm -hmm. right um it, it really doesn't take too much you know interviewing or talking uh for you know for you to talk if you're doing investigations to be like oh something's not right here right um you know again it's people who are are really in the throes of psychosis who by the way are terrified themselves of what's happening to them and don't have control of the voices and the stuff that they're seeing and hearing right. if they're having hallucinations it's a crippling disease um, but it's also very obvious if someone's going through it. So, you know, I got to say ethically, because uh, I certainly don't want to get in trouble, but, you know, I, I don't, I'm not bound by clinical psychology rules because I'm not a clinician, right? I don't do therapy. Um, but I am a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I do have to say that if any amateur team sees signs like that, it is probably not a good idea legally or ethically to go any further. Right. You need to bring in a pro. 
Exactly. And if and if you can't get a therapist in or if you can't you know get to someone that can talk to them, uh, you need to step back because there is no such thing as being qualified to handle that without a exactly. good degree of education and experience. Exactly. I agree 100%. That's why I have found help. You know what I mean? I found help. We step back. It's over our head. Yeah, it's that's you know we 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 have a mission um, at the at the institute I run, and certainly you know through the book that we've done right. that we're trying to get more education to sit what we call citizen scientists, people like you guys who want to maybe do kind of quasi science or work with researchers. Right, we're big on getting that out, but when it comes to techniques with interviewing, right, that's where it gets really tricky because. If you are asking questions about mental illness and medications, you have already moved into a zone that unless you have a master's degree, at least in psychology, you probably should not be dabbling there. It's dangerous. Um, so, so I, you know, that's something I wish we could somehow impart and pass on and have official training for people that would be, you know, would, would enable them to deal with those situations. But honestly, that's just one of those situations, kind of like, you know, you can't fix a car and be an auto mechanic without training for a while to learn how to be an auto mechanic. That's mm -hmm. just kind of the way it, it falls, falls in. Well, that's why I've always tried to have a rounded team. You know, I've always got nurses on staff, you know, yeah. on staff. I've got, I've got a former police officer who was a hostage negotiator on staff. Yep. And, so, and, and, and a psychologist, because I, I always want to make sure it's rounded because you don't know, you know, you're going into somebody's house, you're dealing with somebody's life. Every time you walk into one of these investigations, you don't know what you're going to face until you start talking to people. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was in an instance about a year ago where someone was reporting an extreme amount of phenomena, but it quickly became clear that there was a drug addiction issue and uh, probably a psychosis issue. And we had to back out immediately because um, it, we... Well, one, there were additional issues with legality that we couldn't deal with, right? Um, and two, we just didn't believe we were going to either A, benefit him enough mm -hmm. or or B, um, that, you know, the that he would comply enough with the data we needed to collect for e anybody to win, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I got, got a couple of threats after that and, um, you know, a part of the game. Um, but yeah, you, you have to be very judicious, particularly when you're doing residentials. Man, you need to do a pre-interview, and it needs to be fairly comprehensive. Oh yeah, absolutely. I like your style. I like the way you do stuff. I mean, like I said, we do similar stuff to what to, to what you guys do, and that's well, what makes it nice. There's so many teams out there that are out for the thrill, and that's what's scary. To me. Well, I'm I'm okay with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, if if they're doing residentials, they, they may cause some distress. But you know, uh, we're we're both people of the world and have probably been through a whole lot worse than that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I don't like that. But at the same time, I have no problems with groups doing it for the thrill, so long as they're honest. Right. That they're doing it for the thrill. Right. Don't yeah. claim to don't claim to be a parapsychologist if you don't have a doctorate. Mm -hmm. Don't claim to be doing science if you don't know anything about science. Just be honest about what you're doing. That's fair, and that there's nothing wrong with that. Right, right. So when you go into an investigation, how do you set it up? Like you were talking about having a control lab environment. You know, you have the multiple recorders. How do you set your cameras up? Do, uh, do you, is there a certain way that that you set the cameras up? I mean, like well, like some groups like I know used to have used to measure how far the cameras would shoot how far they come from the you know where, where they are from the walls and all this stuff yeah well there is such a thing as overkill right <laughs> um and 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 i i know some people who are like oh but this is only 99 percent accurate i'm like it's good enough 99 is quite fine we're we're in the real world here it's okay to have a little bit of wiggle um but no in terms of design setup it's it may not be very different than you i i do use a base camp um, although there are pros and cons to a base camp, right? Because you, if you're having somebody document, they're going to contaminate the environment with some occasional noise. Right. Um, but really our, our golden rule and, and we're, we, I'm going to be talking about this on my show, practical parapsychology in a couple of weeks, but here free hints, right? Um, you know, the point is if you're going to have hotspots, recognize that you can't cover 4,000 square feet adequately. Right. Right. And so, you know, either pick the areas you're interested in or because of prehistory, pick the areas that have the best amount of phenomena. Make mm -hmm. sure that you have at least one camera right mm -hmm. in the room and one audio recorder. And then make sure somehow either with the camera you have or with other cameras that you're covering the exit and entry points. Mm -hmm. If you've got extra cameras, put one outside because, man, being able to know when cars pass the street is priceless. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, you know, but if you don't cover your exits and entries, the idea should be, you know, if what I call the judge and jury model, assume that, you know, every piece of evidence you're going to present is going to be presented to a cranky jury that's going to want you to prove it right. while ruling out alternative explanations. Right. And, you know, the first thing, first good answer is, look, I can show that nobody entered, entered or exited this room. Mm -hmm. Right. I can show that at least while I was here, nobody was able to hoax anything. Right. Not that I honestly think hoaxing is, is much of an explanation a lot of times in these situations. Uh, people love to talk about hoaxing, but I'm waiting to find these magical people that hide in bushes for no pay and no recognition that just lurk around creating three-week master plans like a bad Scooby-Doo episode to <laughs> sabotage your investigation that they somehow magically found out about, right? Uh, there, There's a point sometimes where I'm like, really hoaxing? Uh, uh, okay. Um, but... <laughs> Oh no, we froze. Okay, we're good. Hang on, guys. Hang on. See if we can get back on. This has been a fascinating conversation with him. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and switch cameras and see. I'm going to go ahead and switch internet, so just bear with me. It takes a minute. I lost him. Give me a second here. See if I switch internet over if I... flying along okay yeah he froze up guys so we'll see if he can get back in i want to pop him off real quick and i'll bring him back up okay all right we'll see if he gets back in anyway this has been a fascinating conversation and um where, where california haunts is concerned yes i'm loving it too jerry i'm really loving it and you know when I compare like the, the work I've done with our team, this is stuff that we have, have gone over over the years. And, and you know, you all start, like I said, you all start out gung-ho trying to do this stuff. And then as you go on and you start doing residentials, you realize that there's a huge responsibility when you go out on a residential because you're de you are dealing with people's lives. You might have people that are, you know, different religions and all this. And that's, you know, we, we uh, you know, like our, our questions, our questionnaire is 110 questions when we go out. I mean, we're very thorough when we go out because we want to, um, uh, let me text him <laughs> because, because we really want to um, get to the, get to the point of all everything. Where we went, he left us, he left us. He left us. Let's see. Let me do this real quick. But yeah, so I mean, you have to be really thorough, like he says. Really thorough. And I've, I've loved talking to him. I hope he comes back. Lost you. Come on back. Just give me a minute here. I'll just email him. I lost him. Lost you. Come on back. It happens. And, um... Yeah, so you really want to be thorough when, when you go out on these investigations because you are dealing with somebody's life, somebody's livelihood. You know, it's it's not it's 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 not a game. And the more scientific you can be with this stuff and and, and cross check it all, the better off you're going to be. I mean, like he says, it makes for a lot of you know a, a lot of evidence review. But it's what you have to do. It's not like it is on TV where they go out two three or they go out one two days and then. Boom, one whole day they, they, they do evidence review and, and then they're back in. That's not how it works. You've got all that evidence review to do. And it, it can take two, three weeks really to do the evidence review if you do a good job of it. Depends how many recorders you have going. For instance, if you got six, if you got six digital voice recorders going and you're there for like eight hours, okay? Multiply that eight times six. That's 48 hours worth of digital voice recorder you got to listen through. Or same thing with video. If you're running nine, no, no. If you're running nine uh, video cameras, then that means you've got what nine times, not nine times eight, right? Seventy-two hours of a video that you have to sort through and check every inch of that video, not just skip over places. But you have to. You're going to sit there for hours and check each camera, and that's individually when you're out in the field like that. So, yeah, you know, I don't know where he's at. He left us. <laughs> But um, that's what that's what that's what you have to do as a team. That's why you have to have team members to help you out do that stuff. Because there's a lot of video review and audio review involved. Not to mention the stuff, you know, like temperature. I mean, I'll I'll put monitors in each room for temperature, and just have them standard. And that way, I can keep an eye on them remotely from where I'm sitting at the command center, 
Weather is another factor. What's the weather like? Because you want to keep records of all that stuff. I have, I whoever's at the monitoring station, because we trade off, every half hour we're taking weather settings to see what the temperature is, what the humidity is. Because that sometimes has something to do with the invest, with what's going on during the investigation. Okay. So that's stuff that has to be done during investigations. And it's a lot of work. Like he says, you got your camera set up. You got all that going on. You're making sure that, that you're in the correct, you know, you got the cameras in the correct spots and, and you're doing all that. That's part of your investigation. So, uh, you know, and I think if you don't do that, it's a disservice to the client. Right. That's the whole point of going out. I mean, I think there's clients that are astounded when we go out the equipment that we have and the setup it takes. We're like little mice when we set things up, We're like little mice when we break it down. But I mean, that's that's what you have to do, just like our prelims last about an hour and a half to two hours because we're going out and we're looking at everything. In fact, when he taught when you talk about baselines, we take one baseline during we, during that prelim when we're out there. Well, somebody's doing the interviewing. Someone's walking through with a camera. Someone's walking through the voice recorder. Someone's walking through with a meter, and we're doing baselines. We're figuring out where all the high EMF is during the day, okay? And granted, when you get out there on investigation night, that EMF is going to be different because it's in the evening, right? Because there's different appliances and stuff being used, okay? We get there. Not only are we setting up equipment, again, we're doing a baseline when we get out there. Okay? So we're doing this baseline when we get out there. And not only that, we're taking photos because, you know, who knows? Maybe like what happened to us on one investigation, a cabinet will open by itself. And if there's no record of that cabinet being closed, you got nothing, right? So you have to have those, the, the, the baselines taken and you have to have, um, excuse me, and you have to have those, the, the, those, those before pictures taken as well, okay? And even during investigations, we're taking photos all the time. You're constantly taking photos, constantly, constantly, constantly. Well, let's see. We got ten minutes here. Let me see what we got going on. Let's see if he emails back. Nope. Uh, we completely lost him. So, okay. Well, we're good. I'm good. I can finish this off. We're good. But you know, that's just how it is when you're out there. If you want to run a scientific investigation, now our team we have about I would say forty percent science, maybe fifty percent science, fifty percent believers. When we go out the teams, we you know we we work with psychics and mediums. But like I said, we also have professionals on our team. You know, we've got people who who have worked in the, in the mental health field. So we can look for that kind of stuff. You know, when we're out there, I've got school teachers. Oh, there he is. He's coming back. He's trying to come in. But that's just the way it is. Let's see if I can get him in here. He's having trouble with his camera. There he is. Lost you. He's it, still frozen. It's weird. I was talking. What I was thinking about. There you were flying along, huh? See me now? Yeah, I see you now. Yeah, well, yeah, and, uh, and yeah, I was talking about hoax and uh, power went out and shut off my internet for five Sorry about that. <laughs> there is a good, yeah, no problem. So let me ask you about demons, because you mentioned demons before, and how do you guys handle demons? I mean, you know, scientific as you are, and how do you guys look at demon cases if somebody thinks they have a demon? Um, okay, um, Officially, you know, uh, uh, back in the day, I was really active collecting data for this. We always approached it from a data collection only perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we like look, we'll document, it. we'll try to find evidence if it exists. We'll also tell you nothing's there. Um, but if one uh, and you, this is something evil, um, you know, we'll try to refer you to the appropriate spiritual cl cleansing profession. Um, but I have had instances where. Um, you could say, you know, quasi session has uh -huh. occurred. Um, if, if you want a psychologist, about it, you could say a, a, dis a dissociative few or, or a temporary dissociative identity disorder, which really doesn't exist. Um, you know, that is a whole different ball of yarn. I don't think there are still answers for that. Um, and I think at that point, if you're really getting, you know, a person expressing that they're being taken over by an entity of malevolent intent. Um, and, you know, use the Catholic standard and it's actually associated with some sort of phenomena that appears obviously anomalous. Um, if you have a strong background in theology, if you don't have a substantial knowledge in occultism, uh, you need to go find a pro. 
Uh-huh. Absolutely. I agree. How how are you able to let's it's my my question on this too is how are you able to determine that you do need to find a pro when you talk to people? Well, uh, okay. If we're going to do it at a base level, uh, because again, I, I wouldn't claim to be the expert in possessions, uh, so to speak. I've got a right. decent ground in some of that stuff. I, I guess what I would say is, if you don't know what to do, that's a good sign that you need to find somebody else. If if you're looking at something and you are a gog, right? Someone mm-hmm. is magically suddenly claiming to be someone else and, and talking about doing bad things to children and is going to attack you, you know, 20 minutes they were polite, you, right. at best scenario, have association or mycosis, you know, and the worst the worst scenario is be there's something spiritual going on, either or out of your ballot, um, walk away kindly and try to find professionals for help. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's your advice for teams that are just starting out? Um, okay. I would say one think about why you're going in the field in the first place. Okay. What's, what's your goal, right? Um, are you looking to collect depths? Do you have a hypothesis you want to test? Are you, for instance, you want to see moon phase, the difference in the type of phenomena that you get as you go to a, a favorite haunt site, or do you just want to unquote experience a normal, right? If, the, if, if, if your answer is, I'm just looking to experience, eh, whatever fun stuff, you go have fun. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you should give some deep thought to the goals you have for, you know, going there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and also ask just a hard question. A lot of people don't want, don't want to ask, which is, can you really prove anything? Right. Is this even something can be proven? Right? I'm going to prove that demonization is everywhere. Uh, okay. Um, you know, you, you can, but you can try, but you, you're never going to get comprehensive evidence of it. It's just, it's not going to happen. You might get some evidence in some cases, um, you know, that all mental is haunting or, you know, you, you got to be realistic about your goals. You've got, to, you know, in this where you know, a little bit of scientific thinking. So you know, what is the hypothesis? Mm-hmm. What am I saying? You know, what am I saying affects things? What do I think makes a difference? In you know these in the sort of hauntings, what's going to increase them? What's going to decrease, et cetera, et cetera, and then go test it. Because really, here's the point: you just need consent measurements. Um, and you know, there's people like me out there that you can reach out to, like, hey, I really want to test. How would I go about doing? Um, I can refer you off the top of my head to four five PhD. Would be happy to spend a bit of time helping you figure out how to. You know, like that data, but you know, here's the dire warning: Are you actually willing, detailed, and are you actually willing to do the work? And mm-hmm. if there is a to either one of the questions, yeah, just stop. absolutely fantastic. So, what's next for you guys? Well, um, right now we are. Um, doing a series uh, radio show on the X-Zone radio network uh, called Parapsychology. And we're basically ending every episode talking about how research and science, uh, you know, the latest research and science relates to hauntings, ghosts, high strangers, UFOs, whatever, you know, whatever you like. Um, but we're also working on uh, building citizen science projects. Uh, we're, we're working actively in the parapsychological community we're also interested in lay people, um, you know, having a go at science, working in teams, right? because there's a whole lot more lay people ghost hunters than there are parapsychologists. There's maybe 400 of them in the entire world, including right. me, right? Um, you guys outnumber it hundreds to one. Um, you know, one of the things we are trying to share with people is let's quit petty infight. It's pointless. Skeptics are always getting angry at believers, ghost hunters, and ghost hunters, and parapsychologists have disagreed. But we all are interested in the paranormal. Does it make more sense for us to drop the belief in the petty high school disputes and work together to better answers? We can all fight about it and interpret them afterwards if you want. But in the meantime, you know, if, if 
if we all work together, if if Morple got together in groups and agreed use the same protocols, right? did play this, it's my evidence and not yours or or deal or it's not real because I collected it, you didn't. If you just get people to adhere to common standards and start sharing, right? Share with the parapsychologists, sharing with your groups, uh, you know, we could get so many more answers that would make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, we got to put aside ego. We got to be honest so to put aside ego, start you know, agreeing to compromise here and there. Um, now, is that going to happen? I, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to keep trying to educate groups and get people on board with research teams uh, to try and further, you know, the information. But, you know, the part of, of citizen science together is um, don't get to be right. You don't you know. It, it, it's none of us to be right. We have mm-hmm. to the data. We have to embrace neutrality enough. Right, that we're not trying to root team believer or skeptic or team this ghost hunter or whatever. And we're gonna collect the data in a meaningful way and we're gonna be sure and analyze that data in a meaningful way that's neutral, right? And they can fight it out about what it you know means. Right. Um, but I, you know, again, shameless plug if if thing that I've said that's interesting to, to your audience. I really want to recommend uh, the book we've released. It's called Good, and I, I sell it away because there's four authors besides me. We're all PhDs. We did adversarial collaboration. We had believers and skeptics, and we all agreed to drop the beliefs and cleanly add evidence. And if there wasn't evidence, we had to collect some evidence, right? That's why we had 20 researchers in five years. Um, and it really is a survey of we do know scientifically and what we don't know scientifically. And we tried very hard to make that neutral and balanced and just be honest about the data. So that's something that is your listeners. I, I hope you pick it up because I, um, you're not familiar with the research that's out there. Um, there's a lot, you know, uh, the society for physical research guys was, was formed in, in 1890. Right. Uh, there are, there's the, it's one of the oldest fields in psychology that studied, you know, psychism, ESP, right? All that sort of stuff. Uh, it's, right. You know, Google Scholar, uh, the Journal for Scientific Exploration. I'm a seat editor there. Those articles are online. You can look up the science. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, well I appreciate it too. And sorry, blackout. Oh, that's okay. You know what? I want to be, um, I want to collaborate with you. How's that sound? Oh, yeah. Send me an email. We'll get something working. Absolutely. Let's do that. Okay. Because I like the way you got it. I like the way you think. And my team members were in here watching. And they, and, and they really liked you, too. So that's fantastic. So, all right. Hey, well, yeah, like I said, uh, my email. Yep. Okay. All right. Fair all enough. Right, have a good night. You, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was a great interview. Sorry for the internet stuff. I don't know if it was his end or my end. Right now, when I'm looking, because I have backup, I have a backup uh, internet uh, source in here, and it looks like my my Xfinity internet took a dump. <laughs> what I'm on, I don't know what I'm on right now. I'm on my backup, so I think I'm just on my backup unit. So I don't know what's going on with that. Well, I think you know, like I keep telling you guys, everybody in this neighborhood's on Xfinity, and you know, we just had what Alex that Alex Jones thing today. So I think everybody's online at once. So Xfinity went down or somebody hit a pole or something, but it went down on us. But at least at least, at least, we got through the interview. That was a great interview. I'm going to collaborate with him because there's discussions I can have with him with my team. And that's that's what he means. That's what he means about the teams being more open to work together. And that's what doesn't happen is we don't work together. In fact, I got to look it up because Sacramento City College here in town, for those of people that are my team members that are in the chat room, they had been offering a, a, a paranormal class over there to be a parapsychologist. They had actually been offering one. So I want to check that out to see if maybe this next fall they're offering that because I, I wouldn't mind taking that myself. Anyway, tomorrow we are shifting gears a little bit. A gentleman named Jim Barfield is going to be with us, and he's going to be talking about the Bible and prophecy and something that not many people have heard about. And you know, we all know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, but there's these things called the Copper Scrolls that he is now researching and in search of. And the Copper Scrolls have all kinds of all kinds of biblical information in there, including 
information about the end of time. So he's going to be with us tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay? So uh, be sure to look out for that. It's going to be an interesting show. I appreciate each and every one of you coming out tonight. And uh, this was a great show. Boy, I love this guy. It was great. We've had some good people on this past week. Uh, but I will see you guys tomorrow. And, uh, again, if you're watching from Facebook, please be sure to follow us. Uh, follow us, California Haunts. Help California Haunts or follow me. And uh, be sure if you're watching from YouTube, there's that little ghost. Again, there's that little ghost down there with the uh, Sherlock Holmes hat on and the magnifying glass. Please be sure to click that and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And I'm and I'm looking for followers on uh, Instagram, so please do that. You know, get a ghosty gal. And if you're uh, interested in TikTok, we are California Haunts at TikTok, all lowercase. You can check us out over there. And uh, yeah, so I will see you guys tomorrow. Here's his contact information again. And his book, there you go. The website's israenet.org. And it's ghosted is the book. And, of course, you can get that at Amazon.com. Okay, guys. Well, I'll see you tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, for the Copper Scrolls. Have a good one.